Welcome to Roleplay Rescue. I'm your host, Che Webster, and this is a bonus episode. Over the past few weeks, ever since starting this project, I've been chatting to a couple of the gamers I know. One of the cool things that has happened is that one or two of these guys have agreed to record an interview about their own experiences. Unfortunately, the audio quality on these interviews has not been as good as I would have hoped. And I need to admit that while the content is good, these conversations have suffered a bit from less than ideal hardware. That being said, there is an old adage about the best camera being the one that you have with you. In my case, I think the best microphone has been the one we had available. I want to share these conversations because they lie at the heart of the project to create a community of discovery in which people can feel accepted. I'm uploading this episode as a bonus because frankly, The conversation is too good to consign it to the cutting room floor. Bear with us on the quality and see if there's anything you can take from the conversation in spite of a rough edit. Game on. Derek McLenn is an Anglican priest, husband and father. I've known him not shy of 30 years ever since we met at university. Having been a teacher of religious education, Derek attended Cambridge University before his ordination. He currently serves a rural diocese in England. Hello and welcome to the show. Hello, lovely to be here. Quick question for you, Derek. Which would you prefer, player or GM? Player. And why is that? Uh, Because it's less work for me, (laughs) in all honesty. I find (laughs) that uh, when I'm prepping things, I tend to go overboard and prep typical of my personality i just want to make sure everything's ready i's dotted t's crossed and then find i've done too much prep okay so as a player it's a lot less work for you oh absolutely yeah okay just my selfish point of view yeah and i guess the problem is finding a gm finding a group full stop but yeah okay well i guess that's kind of the crux of what we're talking about isn't it yeah Um, absolutely um, what is it that you enjoy most about role-playing games? It is, of course, the group of players, which includes the GM. It doesn't matter what the genre is, as long as you've got a good group of players and a GM, you're in. It, it's by socialising and having a good laugh. Mm-hmm. The situations and the puzzles can be fun, but it's the togetherness, it's the cooperation, it's to be willing to enter into character and being silly. Yeah. <laughs> and I bet you've had a few moments of high silliness over the years yeah i think my weirdest one has to have been my dwarf character from uh the days of playing the enemy within campaign it was so bizarre when he lost his arm and then i blagged my way to having a mechanical arm which malfunctioned all right Uh, so every once in a while it would just suddenly shoot out and of course (laughs) it was my right hand that i lost so i had to learn my a new hand and so relearning combat and having a faulty mechanical arm was hilarious. So this is back in the day of Warhammer First Edition? Oh, yeah, back in the first time they published Enemy Within campaign. So what, late 80s? Lovely. Okay, so basically it's the social stuff for you. Yeah, but gaming is always social, always has been, always will be. So what's your biggest barrier to actually getting a game? Uh, my diary is actually my biggest barrier. My second biggest <laughs> is finding a, a group of people that w- are willing to accept the fact that I might have to cancel nearly at the last minute if something comes up that I need to attend to. So what kind of situations would sort of mean that you'd have to abandon any kind of plan? Well, as you said in the introduction, I'm a priest, so 
pastoral call, that's it. it has to happen. Yeah. Uh, even during holidays, I might get a call just that will mean that I have to go. So does that mean you, generally speaking, can't really commit to much of a group? Yeah, that would be a fair assessment. It's one of the biggest problems I face. Um, even if I was to only have once a month, there's still... I, I can come back in on a Friday night, my day off, and get a phone call from the local care home to go and do last rites, and that's it. Yeah. So, what was the worst moment in your role playing hobby? I'm assuming you mean realizing I had to potentially give it up completely when I left teaching to move into being a priest, but more from the point of view of time commitment more than anything else. Okay. So, why did you come to that conclusion? Uh, because I knew what a priest Barry could be like in advance because I'd seen many priests over the years and what had happened. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you... I know that you still play games. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every Friday, at, um, when I, if my, my wife's not around, then I get out a board game and have a good go. Okay, so sneaky on the side gaming, is it? Yeah, it's not really sneaky. Holly knows to do it. It's just a matter of, um, well, not I've got the time and the energy. And so on the day off, it's generally the only day I can do it. So that's all sorts of stuff, is it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The the primary one would tend to be Talisman, but I've also got Dungeon Quest and a couple of solo games that I've picked up over the years, including one or two bought for me by your good self. <laughs> so how do you keep yourself motivated to play? Mm, it's uh, knowing that I need a release valve that has nothing to do with work. And nothing to do with family. So what do you mean by that? All work and no play, the old adage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, knowing also that some way to switch off completely from the concerns of the parish, from other family commitments that might be going on. You lose yourself in the game and suddenly you realise an hour or so has gone. So it's an escape. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing wrong with a good escape. Absolutely. We all need it. Yeah. I, uh, I guess the in your line, it's kind of going from one extreme to the other. Yes. <laughs> yes, I can do a baptism visit and burial of ashes on the same day without even having to think about it. So, so learning to build in time in your diary and also to make sure you have time just to forget about the pressures that they bring and the emotional baggage is vital. I mean, this, this podcast is all about really tempting people back to the role-playing hmm. hobby. What tips would you have for a person who was coming back? Find what, what is your passion. What brought you to the hobby in the first place? Uh, we've already touched on the Warhammer Fantasy system from the 80s, but my earliest recollection is seeing the adverts for Dungeons & Dragons in various comics and magazines I was reading and then finding a group that actually played it. And once that got me hooked, we've moved on to Warhammer Fantasy, but it was Advanced Dungeons & Dragons was my first ever game. Uh, so I remember that the GM preferred to create third-level characters as the Kickstarter. So a third-level fighter human was my first ever character. Still had some many hilarious moments with him. One, one wonderful highlight was not realising the dangers of doing what I was about to do. And I took two different potions, one of giant yeah. strength and one of um, super hits. And took out an ogre mage. Wow. That sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I had to roll to make sure I didn't explode. Oh, right. And I didn't roll those gems. Yeah, I didn't. Well, I didn't realize that was the, the side effect of taking those two separate potions. 
but in a role of, uh, I think it was um, less than 10, there was no way I was going to explode. So what you're saying is, if a person wants to come back, they should just go back and find that original passion. Oh, absolutely. Find what it is that brought you back into gaming. There's so many complex games out there that if you choose the wrong one, it'll put you off. But remembering that there was a passion, there was something that brought you to it in the first place. Don't try and recapture it, but do remember what it was. Obviously, you're from Northern Ireland. What was that like growing up in the 80s as a gamer? Ooh, uh, pretty much the same the world over. You're a geek, you're a nerd. Um, but also, in my case, I happened to find my faith at the same time I happened to find gaming. So that was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I'm sure you well remember from that period of time, there was the, all the influence of um, certain aspects of American Christianity and uh, anything that influenced your children to worship the devil had to be ignored. So that was rock music, fantasy books and role playing games. That pretty much did for all my hobbies. All right. So how did you defend against all of that? Uh, I pretty much learned how to work around it. But I also had one or two very sane people who said, not everybody believes that. I mean, the books that were that particularly stick in my memory were um, things like Pop Goes the Gospel, in which mm-hmm. the author, very well-intentioned, examined the lyrics of songs that might have been quoted in sermons to point out we shouldn't really be quoting those hymns or songs. And I just sat there and thought, yeah, but the Apostle Paul quoted from the, the classic writers of his day and the famous poets. What's your problem? Uh, and uh, But then I had the probably the main influence on me at that time, who was an ordained minister and my GM in my gaming group. And that was great because any of the off-limits things we discussed and he helped me see why it perhaps was not such an issue. When I later discovered the World of Darkness books, they had that wonderful introductory note in the paragraphs at the beginning of the book. It's a game. If you can't handle that, go away. So who is this great GM? Uh, that was David Templeton. And what made David uh, a great GM? Um, his passion. His passion for the gaming. Um, his uh, childlike senses of, of humour that would come out. And I mean childlike rather than childish. He had no, no objection at all to playing silly voices and acting silly characters for all the NPCs. Um, he was thoroughly prepared and he made it clear that he couldn't do more than once a month. So we would all come prepared for our night uh, remembering where we'd been at the last time. So the, the notes were always very thorough. Um, so do you have uh, a particular sort of a memory of him or is it just all too long ago? Oh, it's not too long ago. Um, I think one of the ones that always sticks in my memory is when it went into querulous old man mode and um, was telling an anecdote which actually turned out to be a comic one about, you know, this old man at the edge of the village who was obviously feeding his, his cat human blood because he kept talking about that bloody cat. And we all collapsed around the table. I'm kind of wondering how being a priest now and being a role player intersect for you. As, as it always has. It's, um, it's make-believe, it's fantasy, it's harmless role-play. Mm. And if you can't understand that, then there's no conversation to be had. Because it, it's, you know, uh, my, my first love remains Tolkien. And uh, that always brings me back to the simple fact that it's of the imagination. 
Mm. And imagination is brilliant, as uh, was pointed out by a certain um, uh, very famous scientist, shall we say, Albert Einstein. Imagination is more important than intelligence. And a good imagination is one of the healthy things of being human. Right. Um, we've been experimenting with roll gates. Yes. Um, how did that feel? It was a mixture of absolute fun and a little bit of frustration. Uh, the, okay. the fun was the fact that it was role-playing again, and I loved it, particularly when we decided on Dungeons and & Dragons. Yeah. And then when we agreed on first-level characters, I thought, okay, <laughs> I give myself 100 turns and I'll be dead. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we managed 15, did we? <laughs> no, it was good fun. Yeah, it was a, um, a lot but of very short. Yes, but the frustration came more from, it's not, it's brilliant, but it's not immediate. You don't have the immediacy of a group around you reacting and laughing yeah. together. But that was the only frustration. The rest was just hilarious. I mean, when I did yeah. die, I just had a belly laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the essence. I mean, yeah. I've never done play by email before either. And, yeah. But I did find it kind of fun. I think the, the only difficulty is, like, I think at the moment when we talked about um, a follow-up game, yeah. I feel like I bit off more than I could chew. And I think actually going back to D&D uh, and just keeping it light is probably the key. Yeah, there is that. But I still think the number generator hates me. <laughs> Yeah, well, I never trust a computer anyway. <laughs> Certainly not if you're playing Paranoia. I just kind of wonder, though, if uh, somebody isn't getting a game, you know, is it a good and viable route? Yes, it has to be. Um, it's one of the few things that will uh, keep the hobby alive. And mm. um, I think it was a conversation between us over by texting saying, is there any way we could do this? And your research mm. that came up with Rollgate. Um, I like the fact that it advertises games that I might be interested in playing. But mm. the ultimate reality is that um, I'm not interested in going too deep at the minute until we're I'm more confident with the system. Yeah. I feel like, um, and if for us, like just two pals kind of bouncing a game around is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think over time you might get brave and, you know, allow some other people in the room. But, yeah, it's good. I think it's a good starting point. Yeah, wouldn't uh, disagree with that at all. Right, last one, really, um, that I wanted to sort of think about. Um, and this is a tricky one, because I wondered how it feels to have kids, basically, who are kind of coming of the age of gaming. I can answer that in one word. Mm. Old. <laughs> <laughs> you just feel old when you suddenly realize your kids are at the stage where they can take up your favorite hobby. Um, yeah. Particularly when... Uh, it really, unless they're approaching double figures in age, there isn't any point. It's a little too complex for them. Yeah. And then to see that, of course, the, the joy is you're trying to see which of your children might develop that way. Because as all, yeah. all things, the best role in the parent is to help form the kid, not tell the kid what to do. Uh, yeah. I think there's only one of mine will definitely go that way. But hey, it's the joy of sharing the hobby when they're old enough to appreciate it. Yeah. I think um, for me, I don't know, it's like a long time coming, isn't it? What's that? <laughs> you know, yeah, that they're born. Oh. It's a long time coming, right? <laughs> yeah, there's a long time until they're old enough to be kicked out. But, you know, uh, it's just watching them grow up and if they trying to see how they develop as people. And at the minute, my middle child, your goddaughter, is absolutely enthralled with Harry Potter and all things Harry right. Potter. 
So I think that's why she'll be the one that goes down that route. And recently when I, yeah. I bought the first part of the of the part work, telling her it was the only part I was buying looking at the sheer cost, but it was the Warhammer 40,000 part work. Um, yeah. She was so excited to see it and couldn't thank me enough. So I think she'll be the gamer of the three. Well, it's genetic. I swear <laughs> it's, it's genetic. <laughs> well, there is that. <laughs> so... I mean, in terms of going into the priesthood and then like seeing your hobby kind of get sidelined, do you have any regrets about that? Oh, none whatsoever, because this is where I was always going. But I do think mm. um, working towards getting a redress in my diary is going to be a more healthy thing anyway. Yeah, I guess that's kind of sound advice for anyone, no matter what career. Yeah, absolutely. If you can't, it's the old work-life balance that everybody keeps talking about. So um, one thing I did occur to me to ask was about, like, I know that over the years you've kind of bought books and read books, you know, I mean, mm. read like voraciously anyway. Um, Couldn't possibly know, like, comment. Yeah. <laughs> I, know, I know it's like, you know, you have certain favorites. Pendragon comes to mind. Yeah. Um, is reading it and kind of immersing yourself that way enough? It's not enough, but it's enough to keep the hand in. Eventually, mm. it gets to the point where you want to play it. Otherwise, it's just a book on the shelf. Mm. And we certainly the one prime example is that is the one that never really took off, but sits there on my shelf saying, read me, read me, which is the yeah. Dereni role-playing game of the Catherine mm. Kurtz world, which is so rich and so deep. And yet, I don't know that many people who would, apart from your good self, even know who Catherine Kurtz is. Yeah, we're going to have to like do a little infomercial at uh, the end of this interview. Aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know if Grey Ghost Games even publish it anymore. Uh, yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that was a little rougher than I'd like. We even got cut off at the end. But that was an interview brought to you here as a bonus episode on Roleplay Rescue. I'm Che Webster, your host, and I hope that you found something of interest from our conversation. As ever, I'll be back on Saturday with another regular episode. See you soon. Game on.